Passages. I'm Rachel Powell, and this is Passages Voice. Welcome to Passages Voice. My name is Josiah McGee, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined today by Malcolm Fitchin, who is the Director of Alumni Engagement at Passages. In this capacity, he oversees the post-trip engagement for Passages alumni and supports the teams in leadership development, campus relations, and alumni education. While in graduate school at Regent University, Malcolm visited Israel for the first time on a Passages inaugural trip in January of 2016, one of the OGs, and was later named as a Passages Fellow. Malcolm holds an MA in government and a concentration in international relations and the Middle East, and worked in the alumni office at Regent University for over two years before joining the team at Passages, and he's currently pursuing an MBA from the University of Florida. He is both a good friend and my boss. So welcome to the Passages Voice, Malcolm. Thank you, Sai. It's good to be a part of this conversation with you. Excellent. Let's jump right into it. I want to read a quote that you gave me from David Brooks. The essential drama of life is the drama to construct character, which is an engraved set of disciplined habits and a settled disposition to do good. Now, Malcolm, you chose our topic today, which is character. So would you like to introduce us to the conversation and what it is you want to talk about? Yes, Josiah, thank you for the introduction. Uh, and it's an honor to be on the Passages Voice podcast. Um, it's going to be part of the conversation. So uh, we're talking about a topic today that I have been thinking a lot about over the course of the past several years. And something that I uh, am passionate about in terms of developing this as a philosophy and approach to leadership development within the alumni engagement department at Passages. As an organization, we are focused on developing leaders and we are fortunate to have thousands of Christian college students with leadership potential that go to Israel with us annually. And so this is something that is very uh, kind of near and dear to Passages, our mission and our vision. And it's something that I'm excited to uh, tease out a little bit and to go into more detail with you over the course of this conversation. So um, I think it's important to start by recognizing that I, in this conversation, I am building on a foundation set by many other people before me, people that are more intelligent and have written about this uh, in greater detail. And it's something that I uh, aspire to think to their level about the role of character or the role that character plays in leadership development. So throughout the course of our conversation, I'm going to be alluding to specific authors such as Davis Brooks that you mentioned in the introductory quote and attempting to to come alongside of them in building on the foundation that they have set for us. So I think it's important to recognize that at the very beginning. Uh, but these authors such as Brooks have helped form my understanding uh, of the role that character plays in leadership development and have essentially convinced me that it deserves uh, a conversation. So at Passages, as I mentioned, we have the special opportunity to have thousands of amazing leaders go through our program, um, yet only a small percentage of them participate in what we call our leadership development ecosystem or our leadership development programs. Some of the listeners may be familiar with this. This is our fellowship program. So if you've been on a Passages trip, you know what a fellow does. We also have the Canvas Ambassador program, uh, and we have other programs similar to those that essentially seek to develop our alumni as they go through a program that has multiple layers to it. Well, we know that there are many alumni out there that are amazing leaders that choose for one reason or the other uh, to not enter our leadership, develop, leadership development pipeline. We consider this ecosystem to essentially house the cream of the crop. 
uh, for the thousands of leaders that participate in pastures every year. So compared to the span of someone's life, the length of time that a alum, uh, alumna, alumnus spends engaging with pastors is but a brief moment. Essentially, it's a snap of the fingers in comparison to their adult life. So this has caused us to really wrestle with how to best maximize you know, the short time, relatively speaking, uh, that we have these amazing individuals in our pipelines and engaging um, with our program. So um, this has essentially led us to uh, realizing that our approach to developing these leaders is to focus on their character. So we hope that this, this introduction kind of provides a roadmap for our conversation. Great. Well, let's start by just kind of defining our terms a little bit. What is your basic understanding of character and, and how do you define that? Yeah, so there are several different directions with how you can define character, but I'm going to take a simple approach and just say that it's a set of attributes that comprise one's moral foundation. So I'll be kind of alluding to that several times, but that's the way that I've chosen to define character for this conversation. Okay. And what are some examples of those attributes? Yeah, good question. So a couple examples um, are humility, responsibility, and integrity. Uh, so that's a bit of a teaser for later on this conversation. I'm going to go into that in more detail. Uh, but those are some those are the, the ones that I'm choosing to focus on uh, in this podcast. Sure. Now, you've already kind of explained why you think within the passages, it does matter that we talk about character and leadership development. Can we just maybe for a moment talk more broadly speaking, though, why is character important and in what role does it play in our lives? Yeah, good question. So. One of the terminologies that I came across in reviewing some of the literature is the phrase sticking power. And so, you know, by reading some of this, uh, this literature, I realized that in order to invest in our leaders in such a way that the time they spend with passages can also be translated into other leadership contexts in the future, uh, and to have that quote unquote sticking power, that it was important to focus on character. And the reason we're focused on character is, is because that presents the foundation for someone to then build upon their leadership skills for the rest of their life. At least that's the goal. So as I mentioned, um, our fellows and ambassadors and interns and, uh, and other uh, roles that, 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 uh, that work with passages, uh, we recognize that they're going to go on and have influence in other social environments. And so our goal is then to build the character of our leaders so they can use these lessons from their experience with passages and apply them to those contexts later in life. And so I believe that building your character or investing in your own character is an investment in your long-term long -term leadership capacity. So what is the, the key relationship then between leadership and moral character? Yeah, so I want to recognize that there is a bit of a tension between um, this kind of this thing that can be considered on, on two hands, right? On one hand, you have um, the goal of providing this or building this strong moral foundation and investing in your character. On the other hand, there's this idea of uh, how do I get ahead in life, right? How do I make a name for myself? How do I um, build a good career? These things that, that seem more like focusing on uh, what it what it's gonna take to you know provide, build wealth and, and, and to provide for your family. And so I think it's important to recognize that there's this tension there. Um, and I think an author that I came across that really acknowledges that and speaks about it 
eloquently is, again, David Brooks. And so in his book, The Road to Character, he talks about the differences between, as he puts it, resume virtues and eulogy virtues. So he says, and I quote, the resume virtues are the ones you list on your resume, the ones that you bring to the job market and contribute to external success. The eulogy virtues are deeper. They're the virtues that get talked about at your funeral. The ones that exist at the core of your being, whether you're being kind, brave, honest, or faithful, what kind of relationships you formed. So uh, I think that that framework of thinking about these tensions about, are you pursuing your resume virtues? Are you pursuing your eulogy virtues? I think Brooks talks about it uh, really well. And another, another author that I came across that teases that idea out a little bit and provides different language for that is Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik in uh, his book, The Lonely Man of Faith. And he develops this tension, the idea of tension in our inner man a little bit further. And the way that he talks about it is he says there's a contradiction in the nature of man, which he calls Adam one and Adam two. Adam one is focused on developing his resume virtues while Adam two cares more about his eulogy virtues. So I think it's important to point out that we are often caught or at times can feel caught between the tension uh, that exists between these two dueling inner dialogues as Soloveitchik puts it. So where did these two atoms or dueling dialogues come from? And what is the source of this tension or conflict? I think the short, there's a short answer and there's a longer answer. So uh, sure. the, the short answer here is that these two atoms or these dueling natures come from the fall and are innate in nature. So that's kind of the short answer. Um, for the purpose of this conversation, uh, I think it's important that I recognize that there are other authors such as C.S. Lewis uh, who have developed this idea, kind of the philosophical concept of the tradition here that exists in more detail. And so I would point listeners who are interested in that angle to this conversation in exploring those resources. But I think the short answer is that this dueling nature comes from the fall and from our innate sin nature. Excellent. That's really interesting. I'll have to look up some more of those resources. Let's take a look at some character traits that you've already you already mentioned, kind of the, the big three that you like talking about. Could you go ahead and repeat those for us and then explain, you know, maybe just briefly why these three resonate with you? Yeah, so I think it's worth pointing out that while I have just chosen to talk about in the scope of this conversation, the three being humility, responsibility, and integrity, if you do, you know, even just a quick cursory Google search for what character trait should I focus on, you know, you can find a laundry list. And I think a lot of those things deserve important consideration. So uh, we'll talk about kind of some recommendations for next steps towards the end of this conversation. But I encourage you all to hold these three loosely. Uh, the reason I'm choosing to speak about them is because uh, I've, uh, I've found them to be uh, things that I've wanted to focus on in my own pursuit of character growth. So I'm going to talk about them from more of a a personal and, and also um, educational standpoint, but I encourage a listener who is interested in this topic to also do their own research and not to take those at face value. So um, I think it's important to maybe answer the question first, what is humility, right? Uh, I think it's a, a term that's thrown around loosely in the, in, in the uh, kind of the field of leadership and leadership development and Christian leadership is like, you have to be humble, you have to be humble. And so in order to have this conversation, I think it's important to first define our terms. And again, I turn to uh, David Brooks, and he defines this as, quote, humility is freedom from the need to prove you are superior all the time. 
and it comes with daily reminders of your own brokenness, end quote. And so I think that that's a good, pl- a good way to define it. It's the freedom to, from the need to pr- prove that you are superior all the time. So most of the literature, in addition to the Brooks quote that I just referenced, uh, it, they rank very high in their list, humility, right? So as they talk about different character traits and, and even as you read stories, uh, for example, Brooks in his book, The Road to Character, um, provides a series of chapters in his book that is a little bit of a vignette on different um, people in history that have grown their character through trials, right? And usually there's a section in those chapters about humility. And I think it's important to recognize that humility often comes first in the sense that mm-hmm. until you realize that you, A, need to learn and grow, then you will not, B, choose to learn and grow, right? It's, it's the, the recognition that you don't have everything figured out and that you you need help to get to where you're going. Uh, I think that that is a good starting point to the conversation of growing your character in order to become a better leader. Another quote here that I like that I uh, want to reference is Hemingway, the great Hemingway, who said that there is nothing noble in being superior to, to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. And for those of you who are interested in reading business books or management books, you probably recognize the book, the seminal book, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he outlines different levels of leaders uh, and he gets to the top level and in his mind, kind of the the best case scenario is what he calls a level five leader. And this is someone that builds enduring greatness through a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. So I think that oftentimes the misnomer about humility is that it's allowing people to walk all over you. And I think the more that you read about this and the more that you talk to people that have accomplished great things in their life and yet are humble is that it doesn't mean just letting people walk all over you. It's about having a certain outlook that you use to look at life that allows space for recognizing that you don't have everything figured out and that you can learn things from other people, even if they are not on the same you know level of the organizational chart as you. If it's somebody that is... Uh, that is, you know, reporting three lanes, three rungs above the ladder, they can still teach you something. And humility is the approach to recognizing, hey, I have something to learn from everybody because I don't have everything figured out. What is the the relationship then? You, you kind of said that humility has to come first, but how does it lead to other character traits? Maybe you can talk some about how it leads to or, or assists in the development of ownership or responsibility. Right. So I mentioned that that humility forms the foundation, I think, for the growth of future character attributes. And I think that there is a strong or high correlation between the existence of sincere humility and someone having influence among other people's lives. Even if you don't have a job title or a job description that says that you manage or lead other people, oftentimes those with humility do find themselves with significant either authority, their formal authority or informal authority in their context, whether it's at work or at church or or whatever social environment you wanna, you wanna uh, speak of. So I think that my next kind of example here in terms of the character trait of responsibility or I'm gonna kind of frame that also as, as having or taking ownership, it does, in my opinion, build upon humility. So just as I referenced, David Brooks and his book, The Road to Character, in my first 
uh, talking about humility, I also want to reference uh, a book called Extreme Ownership, which I finished in the last several months. And it was written by a few Navy SEALs named Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And they um, kind of rose through the ranks in the Navy SEALs and they ended up uh, leading kind of the Navy SEAL leadership development program in California, if my memory serves me correctly. And so they have some really good examples of both in the field, but also teaching leaders who who are put in you know life and death death situations to talk about taking ownership over your over your command, if you will. So I'm going to reference a quote here. Quote: Once people stop making excuses, stop blaming others, and take ownership of everything in their lives, they are compelled to take action to solve their problems. Another quote here. The leader must own everything in his or her world. There's no one else to blame. The leader must acknowledge mistakes and admit failures, take ownership of them and develop a plan to win. So I think, again, I wanna try to draw attention to how ownership or responsibility builds on the foundation of humility. And if you recognize as a leader or someone who seeks to be a leader that you don't have to have everything figured out, which I think humility helps us recognize that we don't, we will never have everything figured out and it's okay to say, I don't know or I need help. Then that gives you space for freedom to say, something went wrong, I'm gonna take responsibility for it, I'm gonna come up with a roadmap to fix it and I'm gonna move forward with that. And even if that taking ownership um, gets you in trouble or has consequences in the short term, I think in the long term you'll recognize and people around you will see that you are someone that can be trusted because you're willing to uh, to call things for what they are and accept the blame for mistakes. And I think that that is something that is very attractive, you know, in organizations in our current day and age, people who are willing to accept blame and, uh, and carry their team uh, when they need to. For sure. Can you give us some examples of what it looks like to actually practice extreme ownership, either a personal story or just some, some tips and guidelines for that? Yeah, so I'm glad that you asked this question. And thankfully, uh, our authors, Leif and Babin, do give a little bit of an outline in terms of some steps that we can take to practice extreme ownership and hopefully grow and, and become better at it. So they give five, five steps. The first one is to set ego aside. So again, this is that, you know, this correlates highly with humility. Uh, it's hard to set your ego aside when, uh, when you feel... Uh, no need to be humble. Uh, second is to accept responsibility for failures. Third is to attack the weaknesses. So you recognize that in order to attack weaknesses, it's important to first accept responsibility for what go wrong, for what went wrong. Uh, third or fourth, excuse me, to consistently work to build a better and more effective team. So sometimes um, identifying and attacking weaknesses helps you understand that. Um, that the people that you have on the bus might not be in the right seats in the bus, right? So there's this kind of this general saying that uh, building a team is getting the right people on the bus. And I think that it's important to often recognize that it's not just getting the right people on the bus, it's getting the right people in the right seats in the bus. So sometimes in terms of practicing extreme ownership as a leader, it's important to put people in different seats. Sometimes that can be uh, uncomfortable or challenging, but in order to really accept ownership and to move forward with a plan to succeed, and so it doesn't happen again. Sometimes uh, you have to, in, the, in their words, work to build a better and more effective team. And then the last suggestion in terms of how we can practice effective ownership is that 
A good leader does not take credit for his or her team's successes, but bestows that honor upon his subordinate leaders and team members. And I think this is um, this is really important. It should not be understated or blown over, just as the final point here. Um, but that I think the trick to to keeping um, to keeping morale high on a high performing team is to give credit where credit is due, so that uh, people can feel that their work is being uh, is being accepted and recognized and appreciated, which also then pushes that framework for practicing extreme ownership down in the ranks, if you will. Right. So if a good if a good leader, let's say, you know, the, the top of the of the ladder, if you will, is pushing um, recognition down, then that also encourages people at different layers of an organizational chart or different layers of a volunteer chart, whatever your context may may have, it encourages them all to practice uh, extreme ownership. That's really interesting. So to summarize kind of those those five steps, then what it sounds like is extreme ownership means owning what no one really wants to own, the failures, and sharing what everyone wants to own or claim the success. Yeah, Josiah, that's, that's spot on. Why, why didn't I say that? <laughs> that's great. Let's talk about the third character trait then, the idea of integrity. Uh, to be honest, when you first told me that you want to talk about integrity, I thought that kind of sounds like a synonym for character. I'm not really sure how they're different, but maybe you can unpack that a little bit for us and tell us what you think integrity is and, and the role that it plays. Yeah, so I think that first, it's, it's, that's a good observation. And I think uh, what I've enjoyed about this conversation is the opportunity to, to take, take an idea that, that's been swirling around in my head and put it on paper in preparation to talk about it in, in a relatively concise way. And I see this as being kind of the first step in a process of developing this more formally for myself. So um, I, I take your, uh, your, your, question, uh, your question seriously here. So I think in my, my current way of understanding this, um, I see character as the umbrella. Right? So there's an umbrella that has all these different traits underneath it. I've mentioned humility and responsibility slash ownership already. And I see that integrity does fit underneath that. I have, I'm familiar with you know, many people when they talk about um, character or integrity, they use those almost simul- uh, interchangeably, but I do see them as being a little bit different. Um, one reading or one piece of literature that I came across, it's a book called Leading for a Lifetime. And it presents this idea that integrity uh, properly understood, it has three legs to standing on its own. The first leg is technical competence. So being good at what you're doing. Uh, you think of people that have integrity, usually they're relatively competent at their job or in whatever that you, however you're associated with them. I think that's worth identifying. Second, um, the second leg that they present is ambition. And the third is a strong moral compass. So I think that's the one that kind of catches my eye, that last one, a strong moral compass, because I think that fits probably most cleanly within the framework of the paradigm that I'm uh, that I'm presenting in this conversation, but I think those other two do make it more multidimensional as opposed to just oh, it's a synonym for character. I think that, that teases that idea out a little bit. Thank you. That that does help. By strong moral compass, just to be sure I understand, we mean essentially the ability to discern and understand right, wrong, what should and should not be done. Is that semi-accurate? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I think, you know, going back, I'm going to repeat my definition just one more time because I think it it bears repeating. Um, It's, I define character as a set of attributes that comprise one's moral foundation. And I think that this, you know, this is a conversation that by definition does have 
moral consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, if maybe in a separate podcast, we can go down that road, right? I alluded to C.S. Lewis and, and talking about why is this a moral conversation? And I think mm-hmm. that that is, is important. Um, this is a more practical uh, approach to that conversation. But uh, when, when the authors of the book Leading for a Lifetime say that one of the three legs for uh, integrity is a strong moral compass, that that's what that means. Perfect. Thank you. How would you describe then the process of character development? Because you said that these are some attributes that you're looking to kind of instill and grow within yourself. So I'm assuming you've, you've been practicing this. What does that actually look like to instill these virtues and practice them? Yeah, so that it's um, a good question. I, you've mentioned that I've been practicing, I think, practicing imperfectly. But I think the first thing, there are two kind of overarching things to say. First is that there's no perfect recipe for character development. I think it's messy. And sometimes it feels like it's two steps back, so back and one step forward. And sometimes it's one step back and two steps forward. And so I think it's important to first identify that it's there's no per- perfect recipe. That being said, uh, it in the literature that I've seen, and, and uh, my understanding is that it, it takes a commitment of time, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a, this idea of compound interest where a little here and a little there and a little here and a little there, and the sum of the aggregate then gets you um, closer to a, a more finished product. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it'll ever be finished, but I think it does start with an awareness, an awareness of a need uh, to grow in this area and hopefully an awareness that this is part of the conversation and growing and becoming a better leader, which is why I think that this conversation is, um, is fitting for the work that I am fortunate to be able to do at Passages uh, in having a hand in, in developing uh, the leaders that come through our program. So uh, I want to reference another Brooks quote that I think does answer this question uh, in part. He says, and I quote, the best life is oriented around the increasing excellence of the soul and is nourished by moral joy. The quiet sense of gratitude and tranquility that comes as a byproduct of successful moral struggle. It's profound. Excellence of the soul. Those are some pretty deep thoughts he's working with there, actually. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's the quotes like that that, that, uh, that remind me that I'm really coming into this conversation building upon uh, the um, quite the foundation that other authors have spent more time in this. So I'm, I'm fortunate for that. For sure. What are some, some practical tips then possibly for, for pursuing growth? So let's say I want to get started you know, today. What, what are some things that I should be thinking about in terms of planning for, for character development? Yeah, so we'll, we'll close with this, and I have, have five kind of humble suggestions. Uh, first is that to recognize that uh, what another author called a character crucible, uh, these things happen every day. So I encourage you all to recognize that these things are happening in our daily work, uh, at home, at the office, at church, in whatever social context that you find yourself in. These things happen regularly, so be looking for them. The second thing is to recognize them, these crucibles as a challenge and seek to overcome them, strengthening and growing in the process. I think this is, um, I'm, I'm not, I have not built a discipline of journaling, but I recognize that this is helpful 
if it, for those who want to be intentional about um, recognizing these crucibles, I think journaling provides the opportunity for introspection at the end of our busy days. Uh, and this is a great way to see where these crucibles are coming up and to recognize them as, as such and therefore address them as such. So that's the second thing. The third thing um, is to basically decide that you want to care, that you care about this and you're willing to make the hard decisions to grow. Um, Jim Collins in his book that I referenced earlier, Good to Great, says that, quote, greatness is not a function of circumstance. Greatness, it turns out, is largely a matter of conscious choice. So he makes like kind of a stark reference to the fact that uh, you, you must choose to make the hard decisions and you must choose to, uh, to you know, pursue humility and the chance to grow uh, your ego and the chance to pursue taking ownership of something that was someone else's problem. Things like that require choice. And as I mentioned earlier, this idea of compound interest, it doesn't seem like big you know, in gains or improvements are being made in the short term, but in a decade or so, uh, given that you are steadily making incremental progress, these things do uh, grow by leaps and bounds. And the fourth suggestion or tip for pursuing growth in this area of character development is to find a mentor uh, someone that knows you well and is willing to speak uh, speak honestly to you, uh, kindly but directly and honestly, someone that has your best interests in mind, uh, someone that is a little bit further on in the journey than you. So I encourage you to, to find that person. Um, and then five, fifth, uh, I've referenced a number of books here and in the process of Kind of ordering my thoughts for this conversation i've gone over about 12 different books so i encourage you to read a good book and i'd be happy to recommend a couple of my favorites if you would just email us at alumni at passagesisrael.org josiah thank you so much for having this conversation with me and for giving me a chance to uh kind of share my vision for why i believe that character is so important in developing leaders thank you Malcolm. To learn more about how to get involved, visit passagesisrael.org backslash pulse. From Passages, I'm Rachel Powell. Thank you for listening.